Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode. And today I have with me James Green. James is with SAI Global. And we are going to visit today about risk management. I had a James on another podcast a little bit earlier, and it dawned on me that risk management is not a perspective that I have presented separate and apart from compliance. So, James, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome back, and thank you for taking the time to visit with me yet again. Hey, good morning, Tom. Thank you. Always happy to talk about risk management. So glad we could come back and explore this topic further. So. For listeners, they will certainly find out very quickly, but James is incredibly passionate about this topic. I'm a full geek, so we may just really geek out here. But the perspective he brings from risk management, I found, was incredibly different than mine because different professional backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, and different paths that he has taken going forward. So with that, James, could you tell the listeners about your role at SAI Global? Yeah, happy to do so. So James Green, I am the Director of Advisory Services for SAI Global. I basically help our clients who need consulting work around business continuity, vendor risk, pandemic, workplace violence, active shooters. It seems to be customers that are stuck in some way, Tom, and with our team, and we work with them to try to manage them through atypical or unusual risk concerns or situations. James, in our prior podcast, as I said, it it really dawned on me, you have a very different perspective around risk management than my kind of legal hat slash compliance hat. So I could start with you giving your thoughts around why operational risk management is really different from compliance. Yeah. So I want to put a massive caveat in here because every time I talk about the differences between compliance and risk, I get in trouble. I offend one side of the aisle or the other, right? So just in my opinion, just in James Green's world, for me, at a very high level, compliance is, are we adhering to our own standards, our own policies, our own regulatory requirements? And for me, operational risk is, are we mitigating any risk that is a threat to the business, regardless of where or when it comes from? And a great example for me, Tom, is Hurricane Harvey in 2017 in Houston. So prior to Hurricane Harvey over the last 20 years, there were parts of the Houston area that had been built out substantially, right? They used to be wetlands. They used to be marsh. They used to be runoff. They all became concrete. So the businesses in that area in downtown Houston checked all the boxes for compliance, checked all the boxes for risk management. They had flood insurance based on previous things. They had done all the things based on what had previously occurred. Hurricane Harvey hit. All that water had nowhere to go. It ran right into those businesses. So for me, that's a classic example of you could have done all the right things in the compliance world and all the right things in the traditional risk world, but you didn't mitigate the actual risk. And a lot of companies paid substantially for that. So 
I guess the thing that struck me in preparing for this podcast, James, is originally I had thought that compliance and operational risk management were complementary. But after reading some of the blog posts you and your colleagues have put up on the SAI Global website, I see them really as I'm going to interlock my fingers, but absolutely connected and not complementary, but much closer than that, and a way for businesses to take both approaches, a compliance approach, adherence to your own policies and procedures, and then an operational risk management approach as you've defined it, and really create a more robust strategy for overall risk management moving forward. That Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing that intersection more and more. So as an example, me as the risk guy, I may set up a risk framework and structure for the company, but quite often in risk, I have no teeth to ensure that framework is being followed. We need compliance to come in and verify, hey, we are following our own policies and procedures and standards or we're not and escalate those issues. So to me, you need both for successful risk management. There's a couple of approaches SAI Global takes that, frankly, I found quite exciting, and that's no doubt due to my inner geekness. But I thought they were really cutting edge, and I hope that the compliance professionals listening and other business professionals listening to this podcast will understand how far you guys are, I think, along. So first, let me start with your 360-degree view of risk across your enterprise and your operations. Why take a 360-degree view, and how does a risk manager or even someone like myself who might come from a legal profession even get their head around something like that? Yeah, so the reason we take a 360-degree view is whenever you look at a successful risk or compliance program or really any type of program, right, does management understand that program? Do they see value in that program? And if you and I, you're the chief compliance officer, I'm the chief risk officer for a company, right? And we've got a cyber risk committee, and we have a compliance committee, and we have an ERM committee, and a business continuity steering committee, and a vendor risk committee. You and I don't have time to go to eight different committee meetings once a quarter, right? It just becomes noise. So companies need to look at all of risk and all of compliance holistically from a management standpoint. It shouldn't be risk or compliance, right? It's risk and compliance. And like I said, within risk, you and I don't have time to serve on that many committees. And what we often find is you send a delegate, I send a delegate, then information's not getting to the top level of management. And now the people sitting on those committees typically don't have the authority to make decisions like the CCO does, like the CRO does. So we believe a company needs to be assessing risk in totality, wherever it comes from. And it doesn't matter where it comes from, because the goal is to increase your organization's resilience, right? That is really the goal of all of our collective functions, is that when there's a bump in the night, we can manage through it successfully, legally, ethically, to the satisfaction of our stakeholders. One of my goals in every podcast is to get a name or title for the podcast, and you just gave it to me, A Bump in the Night. Excellent. (laughs) Happy to help. The other thing, though, that I found really interesting, and this has implications certainly for the compliance professional, but far beyond simply compliance, which is your 
real-time approach to risk management. I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of thoughts about that and how that allows the risk management professional, but even more importantly, the entire corporation to be more nimble, agile, and respond to market conditions literally as they come up. Exactly. So one of the things that risk and compliance professionals do best is mitigate a risk or issue that just happened, right? We're always looking backwards. So I live in Florida. If there is a hurricane that hits Florida, that year the state legislature introduces new building codes. Sarbanes-Oxley came out right after Enron WorldCom. But the problem is, in our world, there's always an unknown that's coming up. Right now, we're living through COVID-19, which was an unknown to a lot of us. Previously, I had called it a black swan event, but the author who wrote that book pointed out that COVID-19 wasn't a black swan event. It was a known event. People were writing about it. So I've stopped using that term. But look at all the things that have happened just in the last 10 years. There was Hurricane Katrina, no one ever thought that would happen. Superstorm Sandy in New York, no one ever thought that would happen. The Australian wildfires in January, no one ever thought that would happen. The 2008 recession, there's always something happening that people said, gee, I had no idea that was going to happen. And what we work with companies and customers to get them to understand, there's always something that's going to happen. There's always another bump in the night. So you can't be planning based on what happened in the past, you need to be agile, you need to be nimble. So for example, like we're dealing with right now, if there's a global pandemic and 4 billion people are in shelter in place orders, not necessarily that you had a plan for that, but that you can react and respond to that. The operational risk management, you talked about how it works with a compliance function. I often interview boards of directors and they talk about the strategic management of risk. Does kind of concepts you put forward on operational risk management, does the board have a role on that? And does the message you bring resonate with board members when you visit with them? It certainly does. So a mistake a lot of people make is that you have to mitigate every risk, right? But you don't. So as an example, I worked with a small regional community bank and they were telling me how they had armed security guards in every branch and it cost them you know seven to eighty thousand dollars a year per person with benefits and salary and i said okay why your competitors in your area don't have that so why do you and the c-suite said to me well four years ago we had one robbery and i said okay how much did the person take and i said three thousand dollars was there any injury or loss of life? No. I said, okay, so why are you paying $80,000 per location per year to mitigate a one-time risk of $3,000 that happened years ago? So strategically, some risk should be acceptable. One, if the cost to mitigate the risk is greater than the risk itself, and then if a company has identified that they have a risk appetite, if they're an aggressive company. So I worked with a company and they said, you know, we'll fund any project startup, you know, incubator inside our shop for up to a million dollars and then shut it down. But we noticed that they were shutting down projects after 50, 75,000. 
And so strategically, you can encourage companies sometimes to take more risk. If your risk appetite is a million dollars, why are you pulling the plugs on thing shorter than that? And that's to me where the strategic part comes in is not only the risk you can or shouldn't take, but what are the risks that you can take? If we're in a more aggressive industry or a more aggressive culture, your risk appetite is larger. I typically will tell companies that in the anti-corruption compliance world that I work in, short of bags of cash across the border, there's almost always a way to get something done under the FCPA. And exactly the risk may be greater, but that simply means a risk management strategy needs to be more robust. And the example I give is I one time met a CEO and he told me what he wanted to do. And I said, well, you need to get fitted for an orange jumpsuit because uh, you're going to go to jail. And he looked at me and said, wait a minute, you're the lawyer. You go figure it out. And it dawned on me with just him saying that, that he was right. He needed a risk management strategy to pursue the business course he wanted to take. And that risk management strategy may have cost money. It may have taken more time, but he was willing to invest in that risk management strategy because he saw the outcome as so beneficial to the company. The difficulty I have sometimes is lawyers are very risk averse and corporate departments exist to protect companies. How do you get the message of let's manage the risk, let's evaluate it, and then let's move forward understanding what it might be with a part of the company that says, no, we're not taking any risks. Yeah, we certainly, we never want to advocate companies where people end up in orange jumpsuits. But like you said, I think a lot of times compliance and risk, no, here's how far the company can go. And why aren't we going to that limit? Another example, Southwest Airlines before the 2008 economic crisis, right? Short or bought a bunch of oil futures because they thought prices were going to go up or down. I can't remember, but they were betting on the market. That is not something most airlines would do, right? We're an airline. Why are we in the oil future business? They bet correctly and saved the company millions of dollars. Those are all perfectly legal things to do. And like you said, as a lawyer, we want you to tell us when we should stop and the things we shouldn't do and can't do. But there needs to be discussions. Hey, if we are a small competitor and trying to compete with larger organizations, we have to take certain risks to get market share, right? So that really needs to come from the top down if you have certain business units that are maybe declining to take risk. James, where do you advocate risk management should sit in a corporation? Should it be in compliance? Should there be a CRO? Should it be an internal audit? Should it be in finance or perhaps some other location? So I think it depends a lot on the culture of the company, right? If we are a very risk adverse, conservative company, I have seen risk report up into legal, into the general counsel, right? If we are a very aggressive company, you want to make sure that the C-level is clearly aware of and accepting the risks that are being taken. And in that case, you yeah, you probably do want a chief risk officer at the C-level so that the entire senior management team is aware, hey, here's the risk we're taking, here's the decisions we're taking, they might blow up, so we want you to understand that. But I think it should really be based on the culture of the company and the risk appetite of the company overall. You've talked about tactics of risk management, and you've used several examples. And I was wondering if we could 
just give a few words specifically about the COVID-19 crisis and supply chain. Do these strategies work in one, an event, even if you're not going to call it Black Swan, I'm going to lean that way. But number two, something that literally is evolving, if not day by day, week by week. Yeah, absolutely. So it feels like a lifetime ago, but we initially started talking to our clients about COVID-19 in January, and it was specifically around supply chain, supply chain disruption. If you are a manufacturer, if you have things in that part of the world because of where Wuhan is and what it represents, and it was around Chinese New Year, this was initially, we were thinking, a supply chain issue. It became a supply chain issue and so much more, right? But supply chain really needs to be embedded in your risk model. Because if you look at it from your customer's perspective, right, we deliver a good or service to a customer. And if we can't deliver that good or service, They don't care if it's a supply chain issue, a vendor risk issue, a pandemic that caused employee absenteeism, right? A business continuity issue because we saw a lot of companies couldn't figure out how to work from home. All your client knows is that you are not providing me that good or service and they will displace you. So yeah, we really believe and have advocated for a long time that supply chain and vendor risk needs to be a tightly integrated part of risk management overall because it can damage what your suppliers and vendors do can damage your brand to your customers. James, the uh, SAI Global website has a lot of information dedicated to COVID-19 crisis. You've put out a lot of information and made it available basically free. And so I was wondering if we could end with a few words about some of the resources that you've helped put on the website that can help people in this time. Absolutely. So yeah, we made, Tom, a conscious decision that we were going to provide as much as possible to our clients. So very early on, we started putting things in front of a paywall. We've done 10 to 15 webinars now focused on data privacy, vendor risk, supply chain, business continuity. Those are all free. We have pandemic response plans that you can download in a Word document, so not PDF, but you can change it, put your logo on it. We've had thousands of downloads of that. Every resource that we can that we think companies need right now on our website and available at no cost. James, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on SAI Global. Where could they go? Yeah, sure. Our website is saiglobal.com, and you can find me, James Green, on LinkedIn and Twitter. James, this has been a fascinating interview, and I hope that we can continue this conversation. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Tom. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.